0: Te echo de menos, me echo de menos. Vibra, tiembla, reverbera, expande, retrocede, respira y regresa a ti.
1: Wait, should we say who we are? We should say who we are, right? Sean?
2: Hello and welcome to Soundpiece. I'm Adam Farkas. I'm Sean Griffiths. Today we are interviewing artist Irene Perez.
3: Hi, Irene. Welcome.
1: Hi. How are you?
3: Hello, Irene. Good. We would have just heard your audio piece. Do you want to talk about the poem that it's connected to or how do you feel is the most pertinent way to start the conversation
0: so this one poem okay it's part of uh, of a series of poems that I wrote between March and July this year 2020 um, starting during the lockdown here in um, in Spain I'm, I'm based in Spain near Barcelona and they went on even after you know the lockdown was lifted or like we could uh, go back to the street somehow. Um, so, and during this time there were a lot of things going on in my mind and in my life, like in everybody else's, like a lot of confusion and a lot of emotions and and all these things like uh, very convoluted and, um, and I couldn't work like in my artwork, I usually work with textiles and uh, make work with fabric and and drawing and such. But all of a sudden, all I could do was write and listen to music. And that's how, more or less, the poems came about. And um, most of the poems are about sensations, not so much feelings, which also have a part in it, but also a lot of sensations in my body. I'm, I'm very sensitive um, in touch and in, uh, in um how do you say it? Well, listening and um, so mm-hmm. sounds and touching and the feeling of the body while being indoors for such a long time was um, heightened. And therefore, mm-hmm. I started thinking about all these things that came out in the poems. Mm-hmm. Um, also in the poems, they, they they connect to my previous project somehow. Um, And here's where the collaboration with my daughter, this is a poem, the poems I wrote by myself, but then in this music uh, that is connected to this poem, I collaborated with my daughter. And this a little bit comes from a continuation of this project called Seeds for Resistance that I have been working for a few years now, uh, that pretty much come from the conversations I have with my daughter, Maya. Um, specifically to this about this poem and this sound piece, the poem is pretty much about the feeling that I was getting lost during this time, like I that I was no longer myself. Um, in a, if you could speak in these terms, like in a positive and a negative way at the same time. Like I couldn't connect with myself, but at the same time, it was like a way of exploring all these sensations and feelings I was having.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it connects directly also with starting to make music. I had never done music in this way before. Uh, mm. Both, I call both this poem, book, I'm making a book about all these poems, and all this music that is connected to the poems, uh, something that comes from inexperience and not being an, uh, an expert in these areas and of it's very much about experimentation and that comes from also collaborating with my daughter that's what she has opened up for me being able to do all these like things without worrying about if i'm an expert or a professional or whatever about what i'm doing
3: so was your daughter making music already and so you were listening to her make music and thinking about how that related to what you were i mean i
0: do you yeah, mind talking pretty, a little bit pretty, about
3: how that started?
0: Yeah, pretty much that's a little bit the way we work. Like we don't plan things. Maya is a, a very strong-willed uh, girl and she doesn't like to be told what to do. <laughs> and I don't like to tell her what to do, especially in in making art, music, whatever. In In those areas, I think observing her, I've learned things about myself that I didn't realize, like, you know, being an artist or making art, not so much, you know, the title of being an artist and having a BFA or MFA or whatever. It's pretty much about exploring the world from a place where you have the need to do it in such a way. I don't know if that that makes sense, but so what I'm trying to do is being an artist is a way of being in the world and relating mm-hmm. to the world from that experience and that way of understanding the world or trying to understand the world. So in that sense, um, Maya is really free to produce whatever she needs to at any moment in the sense that she draws, she makes music, mm-hmm. but her all her art making is very free, in the sense that uh, she doesn't take art lessons, she doesn't take music lessons. She has in the past, but it didn't work for her. So, uh, And we talked about it. It's one of our conversations, we have many conversations, um, was about that, that she needs to do it by herself. She doesn't want somebody to tell her how to. So anyway, in that sense. Uh, coming back to your question, yes, she makes music. She she makes mu- music by herself. We have a piano, and then she has many, like, toy instruments and other things. Uh, and she just, every once in a while, when she was little, she used to do it, like, really often. But now it's just every once in a while. So, for example, she sits at the piano, and she just, um, she likes to tell me her, like, artistic process. She's like... Mama, I just sit here, close my eyes, and let go. And I think of a story, and I make the music of that story, like how that story would sound. So in this uh, particular work, this is what happened. I was trying out uh, some uh, software uh, music software to make music, and she saw it, she came into my studio, which is usually what happens as well, it's like we share a studio space in our house, she has one area, I have another, but she came into my side of the of the studio, it's like, oh, what are you doing here with this keyboard and whatnot, mm. so I was like, look, and I showed her how to use it, like basic settings, and she just started trying out the instruments.
2: So, yeah. so on that, I'm, I'm kind of curious about how then you let, let her or like collaborate with her on this project. Like in some cases, the, the audio pieces and the other work in your studio is your own. And in some cases, it's you and Maya. So like, is there a way that you define things that are where you're working with her? Or like, does it just happen yeah. kind of naturally in the studio like that?
0: At the beginning, it was... It was hard because for me it was difficult to let her in my studio space, mm-hmm. um, not as a you know private property kind of a thing, but it was more like, it's my world, it's my head, it's my yeah. safe place. And letting you in triggers a lot of things that I wasn't like comfortable with or I couldn't deal with or it was too much work to deal with. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so at one point I had to decide to just let go and let it flow a little bit. Hmm. So our collaboration has become these I do things, she comes in, she asks, I show her, she does things, and then maybe we put something together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mainly Mainly I put something together. She's not particularly interested in collaboration as a final piece. I don't know how, you know, it's like she doesn't think that way. It's me, the art, the professional artist that thinks that way. And like, oh, I'm going to make Mm -hmm. this artwork. She just makes things because Mm -hmm. she wants to and she needs Mm -hmm. to. So it's more of, hey, uh, Maya, do you mind if I use this? music that you have made to make something else. And then she's like, oh, okay, cool. Or she's like, no, no way. I don't want you to touch this oh, she's, work.
3: She has said no and denied oh, your ability totally, to Oh, totally, totally.
0: Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> we also collaborated, like, uh, the last show I had not the previous one, there were some works where, I, we negotiated because it, it was about, I do textile work and a lot of it is with text. Uh-huh. And it was about our conversations, So th- notes I had taken of conversations we had with each other. So, you know, I put it all on top of my working table and I said, let me know which ones you don't want to share with anybody. So uh-huh. she took some out and I exhibited the ones that she was okay with. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's very important. That's actually something... I I I've participated in a couple of conferences of this uh group that it's called the Modernist, which is mother mm-hmm. um, artists that work in relationship uh to mothering and what that means. And some of them even collaborate with their children. And I actually had this conversation with uh, Krista Donner, who you, Adam, know. She was one of our professors at UIC. Uh, And she's a friend. And she also has a daughter, which is the same age as Maya. And we were talking about what collaboration with your children really mean. Because for me, I'm not the mother in that relationship. I am, but I am not. So, mm. because if mm. I'm collaborating, I have to think of Maya as my equal. So I'm, I try not to direct her work. Thankfully, she doesn't allow me to direct her work at all, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I love. And then I consider her my equal. Therefore, she has a saying in the work that, you know, gets exposed and gets shown, especially when it's like about private conversations. Which is, you know, yeah. another level of, you know, um, making sure that you respect your collaborating partner. So yeah. Huh. So I don't know. So uh, about this piece, that's what happened. She was playing around with different yeah. settings, and then one of them really like connected me with this poem. And I asked her if I could, you know, do something with it, and I did, and and checked with her if that was fine. If she liked it uh, and if she was okay that I would put it online and open for people to listen to and she was fine so we went ahead.
3: That was something I was wondering about is what is their relationship to the text like how aware of the text are they?
0: Mm -hmm. What happened with this one was that the sound that Maya produced was the one that it's uh, the the wind instrument, which is supposed to be, um, uh, I don't know the name in English, um, trombone. Yes, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. it's a trombone. Mm-hmm. Um, and during while I was writing the poems, I was listening a lot to mainly three musicians, actually two musicians and a and a spoken word uh, musician-poet. Uh, one is Clara Bella, which is a Catalan pianist and and songwriter and poet. Uh, the other one was former Kate Tempest. Now she uh, they go by um, Kate Tempest. And the last one was Bjork, and mm. Bjork has a lot of wind instruments. Mm-hmm. And um, And that sound that Maya produced was like, oh, my God, (laughs) this is like, you know, um, keeping in mind who Bjork is and who we are, but uh, the difference. But it just, you know, sounded so much to the music I was listening while I was writing the poems Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: I I just made that connection through sound, not not, not so much through the content or what the poem was saying. Mm-hmm. So that's the way it worked in in that one. Yeah, but you're, uh, yeah,
2: but, but you're, I think that makes sense because I think like if you're thinking about like haptic experience of like being in confinement, mm-hmm. like the the idea of like the sound that's happening while you're writing and while you're in your mm-hmm. studio and the music mm-hmm. and how those things all kind of mix together, like I feel I feel like those those make sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a connection there. Yeah, certainly. It,
2: so was Maya like hearing Bjork? Like were you, didn't no, you have headphones so in or much. was it?
0: Hmm? No. Okay. no, 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 no. She, li- she listens to other music. I mean, I yeah. play Bjork for her and sometimes she's like, oh, this is cool. And sometimes it's like, oh, mom, this is boring. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, anyway, uh, so no, no, uh, she didn't make that connection. She was playing okay. like, so, you know, it's the software, you have different instruments that you can you Mm -hmm. click and make sounds with. So she was just going at it with, she had, I don't know, maybe 20 instruments in that one test that she did. Yeah. Uh, But that, for whatever reason, was like, oh, wow, this is the one I want to use. And then the only thing I added was like the bass sound, um, Mm -hmm. which was like the tempo that also, to me, connects a lot with my breathing and my heartbeat. So that's one thing that it's recurring in in the pieces I'm I'm doing because for me connect a lot with with the body. I mean, yeah. it's like it's and and I talk about mutation like the other piece that we're mm-hmm. we're gonna yeah. play. Um, and mutation has to do with this feeling of all the sensations that grow through my body, but also like kind of um, mixing here things with like. Futuristic kind of thinking, and also um, science fiction, and Donna Haraway, and all those things that also were in my mind at the time.
2: Yeah. So i I, I want to get into talk about the one we're going to play at the end. Mm-hmm. I really like the, the idea of the word mutation, which is in the title of a few of the pieces in the mm-hmm. the book of There's poems.
0: There's mutations.
2: Yeah. yeah. Is maybe is that maybe a better way to think about translation as a mutation? In, in this broader kind of project?
0: I guess so. Like, I have not thought of that, but in a way, you know, I speak three languages, mm. and in a way that's a part of becoming something. Learning a, a new language actually reconfigures your brain. Yeah. I don't remember how it works. I, I read a lot about neuroscience and neurolinguistics because I'm just... I like it, but I don't remember how it works. But if I'm not mistaken, I remember reading about how when you learn a, first, uh, um, a new language, the one that you had been using up until now goes to the other side of the brain. Somehow, like, you right. know, it, the place where you learn the language is not the same place where it gets stored. Mm-hmm. In a way, mm-hmm. maybe some neuroscientists will listen to this podcast and will say, "Like, no, this is not the way it works." <laughs> but uh, I'm just keeping that just in case because I like yeah. that idea, yeah,
1: and I sure. al- and I
0: also feel very much like that physically you know, when when I'm um, you know changing from one language to another and and stuff. So I do feel there's like a physical change uh-huh. in you when you speak a, a, a language, but then. There's this other thing. I, I think I, guys, when we talked before, I told you about this movie Arrival and how much I love it about yeah, right. because yeah. of the language element of it and that at one point they talk about this theory that has a name that I don't remember where it says that when you learn a language, you're able to understand the world differently. Right. And, and I can see that because, you know, when you have a new language you have a uh, it's a cultural thing it's it's you know um mm-hmm. you have words for things that you maybe didn't have before because culturally that does not work that way in your uh, mother tongue and so on so i feel yeah translation i mean i, I never thought about it thank you for pointing it out uh, but i i do feel it's part of uh, of it, and also, like I mentioned to you guys the other day, um I make art when I make artwork, I think in English so and, yeah, this and very my mother tongue is both Catalan and Spanish. So it's yeah, something happens there when I'm making art that that it's um, has something to do with this mutation. Was Uh, that
3: graduate school, like going to Chicago or... English? Yeah, Yeah. this idea of English being the language of your art practice or something like Mm -hmm.
0: that. It was very much uh, being in Chicago and going to art school there. Yeah. All my art vocabulary because when I was... So I moved to Chicago when I was 23. I had gone to university here in, in Barcelona for three years before then. And I was studying art history. So... You know, it oh, wasn't the same vocabulary or language, or, uh, mm-hmm. or I mean, um, yeah, the technical yeah. language for for things uh, I learned while I was in Chicago. So that's the reason why. Yeah. Hmm. Also because something happened. I I actually had uh, a learning disability. Um, some sort of dyslexia, so reading was really hard for me and understanding text and everything. Catalan and Spanish are very, like, rich grammatically. Like, they're really heavy languages. That's the way I, I feel them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then English was very, like, specific, like, synthetic.
1: Hmm.
0: And it, it just works in my brain. So, like, I can read English much better than I can read Spanish or Catalan.
1: Hmm.
0: But uh, I, I don't know but yet you
3: write in spanish i uh,
0: you... I write in Spanish, but I write a lot in English as well,
3: okay.
2: yeah, I
0: don't write as much in Catalan, so yeah, okay. all these things happen
2: <laughs> I, I have like a an observation because like a lot of your art uses language or or it's mm-hmm. about how communication sure. is used through language. And I wonder, do you think you would have made, and this is maybe hard to ask and hard to answer, hmm. but would you have made different, you think you would have made different kinds of art if you had like went to art school in Spanish rather than in English? Like, is, is that a focus on language because it was about acquiring a language?
0: Yeah, mm. b- very much so. Because actually, the first artworks I made about language was in my final project for undergrad school, yeah. and that happened because there was this thing about English being, you know, the language I learn um, art with. Uh-huh. So yes, I think I think that's. I don't think uh, maybe if I stayed here. Maybe mm-hmm. if I stayed here and went to art school here, there would be something about language, but it would be different because here language, Catalan and Spanish, considering them as languages to work with, has a heavily, like, heavy political weight
1: about uh-huh. them. Yeah.
0: And what the work I do with language is not as much about that. Is more about communication and understanding mm. and the, the multiple possibilities that knowing many languages give you. So it would have been different work, and I don't know if I would have gone that route.
3: Mm-hmm. It seems like that would be really hard to disentangle from the geographical yeah. context and discourse as well.
0: Yeah, very much. So as a matter of fact, like... Uh, some of my recent works have been also, they've been both in English and Catalan because they come from the conversations I have with Maya and the language we, th- we speak with Maya is Catalan. So I've been right. using Catalan, but in the political context right now in Catalunya, that is very hard to take away from that, from that political context. and. I'm still trying to see how I can make all that work without going that route. Not that I'm not interested in the political context, but my work is not about that. So it's it's difficult to... Because
3: it's the language of intimacy between you and your daughter. Exactly. It has another meaning. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes.
0: And a lot of people are just waiting for, you know, work in Catalan to be in the world to make it political about just certain things. For me, it's political, but it's about other things. It's political about being a mother. It's political about uh, being a mother to a girl. It's political about being a mother to a girl and a feminist. It's about that more Mm -hmm. than about wanting another border in the world, which I don't want. Right. So, yeah.
3: You mentioned that this is part of a larger project. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little bit to help kind sure. of situate this piece? Or
0: Sure. I think I started in 2017, around that, uh, to... Let this, what I considered at first, interruptions in my studio by my daughter to be part of my work. Because it was either, you know, either fight against it or join it. So I just right. joined in. Um, and as a matter of fact, you, you know, it's been a great experience. And I, I'm so thankful to my daughter for, you know, uh, pushing the boundaries And um, so Maya and I have a lot of conversations. She's a very curious girl. And I decided at one point that I would answer all her questions, no matter what, even if they were really hard to answer because of the kind of question it was or because it was just plain difficult to answer certain questions. I didn't even have the slightest idea how to answer. So from there, we just at one point I decided, well, how am I going to, you know, put these two together, uh, Maya wanting to be with me in the studio and me making work, and it was these conversations what gave me the idea of, like, okay, I'll go this route because, as a matter of fact, her, her questions make me question a lot of things about me, about my practice, about the world, mm-hmm. and be curious about things that I had not been curious for a while or have never been curious about. Mm. So that was there. That was my, you know, my uh, place of of ex- uh, experimenting and uh, investigating. Mm. So from those conversations, a lot of them had to do with, you know, being a girl in the world. And um, this project was born, uh, oh. which I call Seeds for Resistance. And pretty much it's like this, it's a metaphor, not very like a uh, new one. I mean, a lot of people have has used the metaphor of seeds, you know, something that you plant and eventually could or could not grow. Mm-hmm. So it's all these ideas, all these conversations we have that could stem to new ideas and things that could happen and could help other people and especially could help create community with others yeah. in the sense of collaborating and, and having Bigger conversations. So pretty much what I did, I what happened with all of this is uh, there were artworks created about certain conversations or things that were important to us. And then what I did is um, I had this show for three months, uh, the end of last year, beginning of this year. And I showed the work, but one thing I really wanted to do was to do things differently, because that's what Maya has been teaching me, that we can do things differently, we can learn from other places. I can learn from her as much as she learns from me. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, uh, there's no one direction of this learning and, and teaching thing. So I wanted to do something in the exhibition space that went on those lines, and what I did is... Every week we had either a workshop or um, a gathering of sorts with different groups. Um, I, I participate in different activist groups, uh, feminist groups, housing rights groups. so I had some of those over. Uh, there's another group it's all like mothers that wanna that we want to mother in a different way that we were mothered and we want to do it within feminist ideas. Anti racist ideas,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, more inclusive ideas. Sounds and great. we gather together and, and we talk about how we mother and we give support to each other. So, all these groups I, I belong to came to the space and we had our conversations there. But at, at the same time, I also um, planned some uh, workshops. Like, we had a, we made a fanzine um, workshop that it was about our uh, female ancestors and a lot of different people that I didn't even know came, and it was so great that people mm. like emailed me afterwards and said, "Okay, we need to do like a fanzine club or something and <laughs> keep doing this." So anyway, so all these things happen, and and they pretty much happen because of all these conversations with Maya. Yeah. Um, and That's and great. but also what has been happening is that I have been creating a new way of work in, in, of like the way, thinking more about the way I want to work and what kind of work I want to make. And and all that, all this like thinking about how to make things is what is now part of this, like making these poems and this music because Mm -hmm. I'm making it from a place of letting go. And mm-hmm. just doing it and just experiment and call it work because you're making the work, not because yeah. you know what you're doing, <laughs> yeah. which a lot of time I don't I don't feel I know what I'm doing, but it doesn't bother me anymore. You mm-hmm. know, I was writing poetry. OK, I'm not a poet. Uh, who knows? Maybe now. people will write, the, will read these poems and we'll be, oh, my God, it's so bad or whatever. But. I honestly don't care. And I don't care from a place of, I don't give a whatever, but more of, okay, it's fine. You, you know, but I need, I need to write them and I want to put them out there. And if it works for somebody, it works for somebody. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Um, Can you tell us where people can, can find your, your work?
0: Uh, Yeah, to see my work, you can go to my website, which is ireneperez.net, and you'll find there the whole project Seeds for Resistance and other previous work. Cool. And then to listen to the sound pieces, you can go to my SoundCloud. Yeah, it's irene-ears, so soundcloud.com slash irene-ears, and you can listen to some of the works there.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Irene. It was really a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Wow, it was great. Yeah, thank thank, you, thank you, you guys so much. Very, very, very much. Okay,
3: so... Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you. you thank too. you.
0: Cuarta mutación. Entro en el agua. Las olas me hacen lo que quedó de mi naufragio. Fuera me ahogo. Dentro, Respiro. Inmersa en el océano, vomito el aire que tragué al salir. Aquí, en su vientre, se ve todo con nitidez. La oscuridad profunda es de una transparencia abrumadora. Este cuerpo que habité se ha descompuesto. Ahora forma parte de la sal, del plancton y del vacío. En mí resuena el canto de las cetáceas, llamando a sus crías y a sus compañeras. Minuta, microscópica, entro en los estómagos colándome entre sus barbas, navegando sus inmensas mandíbulas. Tomo así una nueva forma, paso a ser de nuevo carne,
1: carne de otra carne. <risa> Thank you.